You're about to listen to a Second City Works presentation brought to you in partnership with WGN Radio. Subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform or listen on WGNRadio.com and be sure to share. The Second City is a world famous comedy theater and it got so famous because it has produced generation after generation of comedy superstars. That didn't happen by magic. Second City's improvisational pedagogy fuels great performance and the same practices that have made stars of everyone from Bill Murray to Tina Fey can be applied for success offstage, at work, at home, and in the world. I'm Kelly Leonard, Vice President of Creative Strategy, Innovation, and Business Development at The Second City. This podcast is about collaborative conversations, discovering connections, and building a better future. This is Getting to Yes And. You want to come see us talk live on the Getting to Yes And podcast? Well, I'm going to be talking to Keegan-Michael Key, Second City alum, and L. Key about their new book, The History of Sketch Comedy, A Journey Through the Art and Craft of Humor, on October 5th at 7 p.m., at the Francis Parker School. This is part of the Chicago Humanities Festival. If you want to get tickets, go to chicagohumanities.org. My guest on the podcast today is Jason Del Rey, who's been a business journalist for 15 years and has covered Amazon, Walmart, and the e-commerce industry for the last decade. He was the host of the hit narrative podcast, Land of the Giants, the Rise of Amazon, and the National Retail Federation, once named him one of the 25 people shaping retail's future. He has a new book, and it's called Winner Sells All, Amazon, Walmart... Unsaid. Days can't be counted by the time to rent. Tomorrow's just another like the one that comes next. The corner of the highway that leads to the job at the desk by the boss with the elegant watch. The tick of the clock and the tick of the clock mark the moments till the ticking stops. Jason Del Rey, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kelly. I didn't start reading your book with a lot of expectations. So I assumed it was a piece of journalism, which of course it is. But it also reads like a contemporary thriller where the good guys are maybe not as good as you think they should be. And the bad guys aren't really as bad as you think they should be. And it struck me that this would have been an infinitely easier book to write. And you can tell me if this is true or not. If the ethical and philosophical lines weren't constantly so blurry. Yeah, that's a great point. And um, one of the big challenges of covering, uh, I'll spoil it, these two companies over the past decade, as I have as a journalist, and, and the two companies are Amazon and Walmart. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it. you know, I had a lot of talks with publishers over, you know, who's the protagonist and who's the antagonist? And can we really root for this company or that company? And it's really complicated and nuanced. And, um, that's what I love about, about, you know, this topic and this project, which was, um, three years in the making writing this book. Yeah. And we talked before we started about, you know, me sort of saying, well, this isn't necessarily the kind of talk I normally have on the podcast when I'm talking to academics and scientists and that sort of thing. But, but really as, as I'm reading this book, I am looking at certain kinds of issues that these companies are dealing with, ways they've dealt with stuff. And I'm looking at going, well, I've worked at this place called the Second City and we've made horrendous decisions that, you know, lay down. So I think, I think what's, what's interesting inside the, re- the reporting here and in the book itself is that you really, um, <laughs> It would benefit all of us if we examined, you know, our own behaviors inside the systems and structures that that we work within, recognizing that, you know, maybe we don't always do well and that one wants to do better and that one also has to deal with the things as they exist. And these two companies, again, operating at such a huge kind of different level than a lot of the other companies are really dealing with the same problems that we all are in terms of figuring out the world we live in. I think that's right on. And I think, you know, um, over the last few decades, as they've competed against each other and, and sort of changed spots in terms of who is, who has the the strengths and who has the weaknesses and who is nervous about the other. um, 
you know, when you really come down to it, this, what I tried to get at in this book is, um, it's not always clear that there are people <laughs> running these, um, big corporations. They're humans who have their own ambitions, but also their own fragilities and, um, insecurities and, um, you know, the thing with these two companies is those manifest themselves in services and products and decisions that affect tens of millions, if not yeah. hundreds of millions of people around the yeah. world, um, yeah. both as employers and, and uh, you know, and as uh, distributors of, of these products and services. I mean, I live in Chicago, Illinois, and I have basically my whole life. And um, I maybe have been in a Walmart once. There, there was one in Lincoln Park here briefly oh, yeah. that I walked into. It's gone. But when you talk about Amazon Prime, I mean, I'm something of an addict. So I'm curious in terms of your purchasing where you live. Did you, do you frequent these companies? So we do. Um, so we live in, um, I grew up in New York, uh, the fifth and forgotten borough of Staten Island. And, uh, uh, my wife and I and our children now live in Northern New Jersey. And so we have, um, two Walmarts, uh, within about 10 or 15 minutes of us. Um, we have, uh, been in Amazon prime members since the year my son was born. So that's uh, 10 years ago, which is also yeah. when I started covering these companies. Um, and you know, we, I, I hosted a podcast called the land of the giants about Amazon. Right. And, and in that I tracked my purchase history of prime and it was all, all related to big life events. So birth of my son, you know, mm. we went up to, I don't know, from 50 to a hundred, uh, purchases a year and, uh, birth of my daughter back up again. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we, we frequent both companies, um, Walmart, a lot of our purchases are, um, online and they're either delivered or actually sometimes pick, pick up, uh, yeah. at the super center, which is something they've been finally, um, <laughs> trying to really, uh, use as an advantage, um, over Amazon and other competitors. And then we frequent, you know, some, some small businesses. And also, uh, when we get into the grocery space, um, we are a Trader Joe's family by and large, uh, okay. which is, which is something that's a different experience. And interestingly enough, a company that is totally, um, said, you know what, we're not going to do the e-commerce thing in a meaningful way. And they've, I think, They've done great, uh, yeah. sort of an old school experiential approach. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Well, and again, working on a live theater, right? Even though we do a bunch of different things and we have these different, you know, corporate and other things that we do that are very profitable, we are nothing without that live theater experience. So you can continually have to be like, okay, what is it about this is special? Um, you open the prologue. Um, and the first line is, Quote, the first time I met Jeff Bezos, I asked him what he was wearing. Uh, I want you to talk, talk about this because I, there's a reason you started with this, and I felt very much like it's a foreshadowing of where the book ends up in terms of where where, where we all want to sort of see how, how things are. So tell, tell us that story of because uh, Bezos did, didn't really take that question well at first. No. <laughs> so um, so as I mentioned, I started covering both of these companies in 2013. Um you know, I try to get access to Jeff Bezos in those first few years of covering the company. And um, it was really difficult. Uh, you know, the company, I, you know, their PR, Amazon's PR department, as their story became a little more complicated and not just, you know, the feel good innovation story, but it became a story of do they treat their workers well? Are they good for book publishers and book, local bookstores? All of that you know, they, 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 uh, Jeff was hard to get to. And so I had this opportunity at a conference that, um, my, my previous employer used to host. Jeff was speaking. Um, I wanted to meet him beforehand. I was told no. Um, so I found, I got my way backstage and, um, knew I had just maybe a minute or two of interaction with him before either security or his PR people would intervene. And, um, so I tried to find something that was memorable to talk to, you know, maybe make uh -huh, him laugh, uh -huh. but also something he was interested in. And at the time, Amazon was just starting to sell 
their own uh, brands of clothing. And um, he had talked about that in a recent magazine feature as an area he was interested in. So, you know, I walked on over, I, you know, I said, Hey, uh, Jeff, um, Jason Del Rey from recode, which was the name of the tech publication I was, I was writing for. Um, uh, are you, what are you, wearing? what are you wearing or some variation of that? Um, I didn't, I, I guess I thought it out, but I wasn't sure uh, how it would go over. I thought he would laugh and he sort of didn't believe what I was asking and yeah. init- initially walked away. Um, but then came back and had a very, what I would imagine a Jeff Bezos conversation would be, which yeah. was interrogating me about what I was wearing and then talking about how humans and technology could work together to help, uh, in this case, style people. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I actually I ended up liking that answer. And it's funny because I, I thought about this. I, I don't know. I don't know if you were there. You might have been. Uh, my wife and I presented at a recode conference um, where we talked I, about improvisation. I, I, I probably I absolutely was there. And now it's coming back to me and I'm embarrassed that um, that's all right. That uh, I didn't remember. And we talked uh, about yes. And it, it was it was funny, too, because we um it was early. My, my book had come out. Um, so this is probably like 2016 area right around there after the book came out and we were doing tons of different stuff. And, and, um, I'm sort of glad I wasn't there now when I've gone all this journey through, you know, uh, behavioral science and neuroscience and this work and then, you know, talking to more CEOs and other people about building. I'm just so, I wasn't the business guy on, on the book. I was the storyteller guy on the book and now I'm kind of both. Um, but I, I remember being backstage with a bunch of these, uh, like Patty McCord and different people and talking, oh, yeah. you know, like, and, and again, not, not knowing enough that I could just be pleasant and, and have conversations as opposed to grilling them about, you know, their time at Netflix or whatever. Um, but I think this sort of like, there is a, and you get at this with the various characters in the book, the sort of human quality. And I think I'm, what I, where I might want to start is where you start in chapter one, which is, and this is in 1988, when a guy named Robert Davis goes down to the executive row uh, uh, to meet with David Glass, who's the CEO uh, of Walmart. And um, he's looking to basically alter the arc of business history with a single bet. And what was that bet? And can you tell us what happened in that conversation? Sure. So Robert, um, I'll just preface this by saying I was really happy I was able to get to Robert. He hasn't done any interviews over the years on this topic. Right. Yep. Yep. And, um, and he was a longtime Walmart employee who thought he would be there for life. And the bet he was looking for David Glass to make was to make just a bigger commitment to online shopping. And this was back, um, this was back in the, in the late nineties. And, um, uh, Robert had led a small team in the mid nineties at Walmart that was tinkering around with the first online store. They sold gift baskets on Sam's club's website, which Sam's Mm -hmm. club part of Walmart, um, during one holiday season. And he really believed that the future of this industry was going to be carried out on you know, on your computer. Um, and he, you know, he didn't, he didn't have any specifics, um, really in this request to David, other than he wanted David as the CEO to sort of let the company know we're serious about this. And so if Robert or other members of the skunk skunks work team, um, need something from your division, Mm -hmm. like, we'd like you to, (laughs) we'd like you to take it seriously. And, um, you know, Rob in Robert's telling David, um, I wouldn't say was dismissive, but just said, we're going to continue to treat this like an experiment. This is a, you know, small Mm -hmm. business. And, um, we have these massive super centers with these, you know, they were just Walmart was a machine at the time with the rollout of super centers and, and, you know, uh, Robert walked out of that meeting and for the first time seriously considered um, that maybe he needed to to leave this company he so loved and still does to this day, to be clear. Um, and he ended up going to, to Amazon okay. and um, following another former Walmart executive named uh, Rick Dazelle, who had gone to be sort of 
the head of technology there for Jeff Bezos. And uh, Robert ended up spending over a decade at Amazon um, before retiring to a uh, log cabin that uh, he helped build uh, in the countryside of uh, Washington State. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you look back and Robert, you know, I think Robert's in his mid 60s now. And um, he was very passionate when we talked. I, I'm forgetting now if it was last year or the year prior. I worked on this book for so long um, about he really thought, you know, if he had gotten that commitment, um, you know, maybe Amazon still becomes a version of Amazon. But Walmart um, would have been really innovative in the digital space a long time ago as well. Um And I just, you know, I just had a really great time talking with Robert and hearing his stories and his passion for the space and and what could have been. Well, again, so if we're talking 1988, the year I started, I graduated college and started at Second City as a dishwasher. So no, there is maybe one computer in accounting. There were no cell phones. My wife worked in the box office then. And I remember everyone making fun of this agent who showed up to take a call on one of those giant uh, portable phones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, so because it's the 80s. So, you know, and then we didn't have a website. And, and so it is just it was so for for him to be that prescient. And then, as you note in the book, the CEO, David Glass's assistant printed out his emails. Yeah. And so um, so, David, um, and, and just to be clear, sorry, it was this was the summer of 1998. Oh, it's so 98. OK, yeah, so I wrote down wrong. No, it's fine. You you just got me very nervous because that would be a big blunder in my in my first uh, first page of my first chapter. So I just checked it. Woo. But still, um, but still, also like a per, pretty early in those days. Very very early, and um, yeah. So David, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Sam Walton in in his memoir, uh, you know, cites David as as one of actually the people who were pushing Sam Walton to innovate more. Um, but the technology innovations that that David and his teams were pushing um, were more automation in warehouses. Uh, when it came to personal computers, that was sort of a whole different thing. And I think David, like a lot of leaders back then, were um, it was hard to see the massive potential, right? And um, and again, this goes back. We can get into this, but sort of a classic innovators dilemma story where. Um, you're, you have so much success at your core business and it's yeah. so massive and takes so much to run and expand that um, it's really hard to um, to move your thinking in a meaningful way to this new small thing, right? And yeah. um, I, I think of that in all different industries, not just corporations. I think of it in journalism, sure. uh, my field, and... Um, Anyway, this was just one of the the classic and I, I think um, biggest examples of of that challenge over the last few decades in the yeah. corporate world. So, talking about that a bit, you, you've got you have the technology piece, of course. So that and that, that threw everyone. Get it? But then, but then this this sort of victim of your own success, the innovators' dilemma. You you've got these stores, and and they still to this day are hugely important the focus so so that you know and then and then this is sort of mix of incentives right and it does strike me and and you write about this we're just like these bonuses didn't help because then everyone is incentivized not necessarily to work together that's absolutely correct and um you know it 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 seems as i talk about this i've been thinking about this a lot on one hand it seems kind of silly you know to say um well, incentives incentivize, right? right. And um, but um, but they're there for multiple reasons. And um, yeah, so so one of the big struggles over time at Walmart has been store leaders have been incentivized to focus on um, the profits of the stores. Yes, growth, but operating them very efficiently and profitably. And then over time, you have you know, e-commerce leaders who are trying to make up ground with Amazon and frankly, some other companies as well. And uh, sometimes it's really hard to grow and make a profit at the same time in in this field. And so you had those constant incentive battles. Um, You know, you'd like to think that executives at all times are thinking at, you know, 10 years out the future of a business, but they're incentivized to, to win in the short term and hit their goals. And they have 
employees to, to, you know, make sure help reach their goals. And it's, it's a complicated thing. And, you know, one of my favorite, you know, parts of interviewing people for this book was sitting down with Doug McMillan, the current CEO of Walmart, um, really, a, you know, to many people, an incredible leader and, and, uh, a, a real champion of the Walmart way. And he said, listen, you know, down the road, people will examine my time as CEO and they'll decide, did I leave the stores division and e-commerce division apart for too long? Um, or, or did I get it right or not? You know, you all were f- figure that out, but at least for a period of time during his tenure as CEO, he felt, um, they, they need to, to sort of, um, be apart for a while in order to get the e-commerce team really feeling good about their work and, and scaling fast and, and all of that. And so I don't have an answer, you know, um, no. whether, you know, and, and maybe there will be a definitive answer in time over, you know, you know, whether he did right or wrong with that decision, but, um, it, it was good. It, it was nice to hear a really important, powerful leader acknowledge that, like, we don't know if it was the right decision, right. but, um, but you know, I made it and I'm standing by it. Yeah. Again, this is the interesting thing about this book, which is really not the way a lot of people, I, I posted a thing this weekend that I saw an article and I forget who wrote it on medium. Uh, and the title was something about, uh, beware of too many Malcolms. And it's the idea in these business books where people get obsessed with the Malcolm Gladwell, like, uh, analogy of a situation that then breaks down if you, you know, go into it. And because the reality is always messier. And what's funny is both, both of these companies that we're talking about are clients of ours and, uh, at Walmart in particular, the work that they brought us in to do was a lot of listening work, a lot about people being present with each other, which is a thing that people talk about McMillan being really good at. And, and, and honestly, it's not an easy thing to be good at, especially when you're a leader. That that's absolutely right. Um, you know, over the course of, um, so he, he became CEO, I believe in 2014. So I've talked to a lot of people about him over time, even before I, I got to sit down with him for this book. And, um, you know, what struck me, which is really hard to do, is even people who left Walmart may be disappointed about their tenure or just not on the best terms had like 90% good things to say about Doug as a leader and a human. And really, you know, um, I don't know that Walmart is in position they are as sort of... Um, Listen, I think it's hard for people. Let me take a step back. Yeah. They're a massive company with so yes. much power, period. Um, but they really, as crazy as it sounds, have been an underdog in, in this big, important in this industry sure. of online retailing for a long time. And, um, you know, they still have a ways to go. But I, I, I think um, without someone sort of someone who mixes sort of a belief in technology with or sort of the Walmart DNA, um, also though a big charismatic champion of of the company as well. Um, without without that selection of Doug, I, I don't know if they're where they are today in in this battle at least, which is um, you know fighting back. Yeah. So the one area that you talk about that Amazon is trying to claw away rather unsuccessfully over time is this perishable goods, the idea of people going and buying their fruits, their vegetables, their meat, because they, they do that at Walmart, apparently. <laughs> they yeah. go to the store and do that. They do. But I mean, yep. Amazon bought Whole Foods. There was those Amazon fresh stores. Have none of these things worked to the level that they needed them to work? I mean, the Whole Foods acquisition has kind of been fine. Um, uh, I think... Um, but Bezos is interested in fine. Yeah, no. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I, I think they'll hold on to it. But um, I, I just think a, a couple of things have gone wrong there. I think they, um, early on, they really pushed them hard as sort of turning them into also like mini warehouses for delivery people. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of Whole Foods customers were were not, thrilled about going into a store that they really love to be in yeah. and, you know, elbow having to elbow jockey for position, um, with delivery people who were doing their job, like nothing wrong there. 
Um, so the experience, you know, to some people sort of degraded. Um, and then there just hasn't been sort of, um, you know, great growth there. Uh, so, so that's one thing. And then, yes, you spoke of Amazon fresh stores, um, which Amazon has been experimenting in and, um, you know, they have, they have technology in them. You know, some of them, they have these carts that you put the items in and they, the carts themselves, sensors, uh, calculate, basically know what you're putting in and they, you know, you can walk out without paying. Um, some of Amazon's other stores have this idea of, you know, you're picking stuff off the shelves and just walking out. And some people love that. And for a certain clientele, that, that might be enough to choose that over another store. Um, but by and large, the differentiation of these stores has not been enough to really um, attract consistent um, lovers of these brand of you know of these outlets. Um, and so, under new CEO Andy Jassy, who took over for Jeff Bezos a couple of years ago, um, they sort of put a pause on the expansion of of these new grocery stores and are trying to figure out what the right way is for them to enter the space. And I don't know if it's I don't know if it's the innovators' dilemma for them, but it it is um, trying to figure out, um, you know, eighty or eighty five percent of retail still happens in stores. What is our value add in this? Yeah, space? it's funny. I think it was a couple of years ago. The Walgreens that's across from Second City. Suddenly, we walked in and it was all uh, kiosks, self serve. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that maybe lasted three months and they all went away and, yeah. and people came back. And I was like, ah, I wonder how they made that decision. Cause I certainly remember like I went and I saw the kiosk, I got whatever I needed and I don't think I ever went back. Um, and I imagine that that's what they, and I go there again now, now frequently. And, and, and I, but I didn't make, it wasn't like a necessarily a conscious choice where I was like, I just, you know, whatever. I was like, I don't know. I don't want to deal with that. Um, and this idea of for those of us in live businesses and understanding that, you know, it took, it takes a lot to be successful in a live endeavor and get people to come over. And this is why when people are like, you always think you want to be in the restaurant business. People always think they want to be and like, and anyone yeah. who's in the restaurant business is like, don't go into the restaurant business. It's so hard, but also your favorite restaurant is and this is part of the reason because your favorite restaurant is like one of the most important things to you as a human. Absolutely. Um, I was going to say people think they want to write a book and I'm going to tell them don't write no, a book. Agreed. I've written a book. No, you don't want to write a book. What, what, just a little aside, one of my, my closest friends in the, in the journalism uh, industry, uh, his name is Peter Kafka. He, he hosts a media yeah. podcast, um, yeah. wonderful person and, and incredible journalist and interviewer. Um, he has never written a book and, um, huh. and he's, and he has a lot of, because he has a lot of journalism friends who've, who've written books. No, listen, maybe, maybe, maybe I have a, a sequel in me someday, but, um, I may not have a wife and children if I do. So, um, <laughs> probably not a bet to, to, to make for me. Um, but, but uh, sorry. So back to, um, yeah, live, how, how hard it is. Right. Um, yeah. and, um, yeah. And, and in that vein, you know, uh, Amazon announced, I think last, I think it was last year um, that they were uh, just, they were shutting down their bookstores. So they, they had opened, you know, a few dozen bookstores and, um, and I'd been in them and, and they were fine. And um, you know, for me as a journalist, it was kind of exciting to see them enter a new space and especially with the iron irony. And I don't know if you call it irony or something else of of them opening bookstores, but um, uh, you know, around the exactly same time they announced this, that that's when I sat down with Doug McMillan at Walmart and I was kind of, you know, I asked him about it, of course, and I was interested if he was going to take any shots at his rival. And he just said Mm -hmm. very matter of factly, like physical retail is hard, like, you know, and he also said, which Walmart has learned like online, (laughs) online retail is really hard too, but physical retail is really hard to stand out. You know, people talk about retail dying or stores dying. And the truth is it's mediocre retail is dying, right? Yeah, you know, you right. need a reason for being. And um, for us, like I was mentioning Trader Joe's, it's, yes, it is the pricing and their, you know, and their original uh, product uh, 
manufacturing that they do. Um, but it's really the experience, right? And so, um, yeah. Amazon has not nailed it by any means in physical retail and they may never. Um, but we'll see. It's interesting. So just last week, I interviewed Zainab Tone, who's a MIT professor who has a fantastic a book around good jobs. And one of the things that she points out, and this is so true of Trader Joe's, it's flooded with people. You have you never don't have a person to help you. And for so many companies who are coming in and looking to expand they know that they can make more money by having less people, but that usually almost always never works out in the long run in terms of, a, a you know, paying off. This is so the Jack Welch bull that we got fed to us because you can see these short term profits and you start acquiring and doing all these other things, but it doesn't pay off. And, and what it struck, what struck me with these two companies is, that might have been a philosophy that might have existed at certain times, but they both of them understand the need to pivot over time when something isn't working. I think that's right. And, um, you know, they may, you know, when talking with the press, they may, um, you know, uh, spin, spin these, these pivots or, um, for sure, frankly, failures as, uh, experiments or things of that like, but, um, yeah, they, they, um, they pulled the plug. I mean, um, we're seeing Walmart, uh, sorry, we're, we're seeing Amazon at this sort of corporate level inflection point, I think, where they've had these large layoffs. Um, I think 27,000 corporate em- em- employees over the last year, um, and pulling back in some areas a bit, um, where they had invested super heavily, Alexa being one of them. Yeah. Um, and so, um, it's you know easy even in the media business you look at a company like Amazon to think that they're just going to go up and to the right you know just growing mm-hmm. growing growing forever and um, life doesn't work that way and this you know that uh, I have a I have a lot of those life doesn't work that way moments in this book um, where um, it seems like a company or a person um, uh, is something that that never loses and then you know life hits them and and you have a choice at that point, which is you either um, fold and go home or you, or you pivot, right. Yeah. As the tech industry likes to say. Well, another big area that you talk about with this for both these companies is their attempts to get into like this healthcare space, this healthcare and wellness space, which I get, I get it. It's broken. You know, our country did the, it is broken. It's just that anyone who's experienced this uh, and, and I certainly have my family, it's, it's obscene in terms of if something happens, what you have to deal with. And I, I remember all the press reports around Amazon and, and thinking like, oh my God, they're going to take over health. And they try. Yeah, so, <laughs> and, and, and they're, and they're still trying. They, they're still trying. Um, yeah. You know, they, you know, this goes back to Jeff Bezos. I think, you know, you look at an industry that um, is hard and fragmented and maybe has some excess profit margin. And like in the way Bezos used to think like, that's right. That's an industry ripe for disruption. And yeah. um, he tried all the way back in the early days of Amazon with something called drugstore.com where um, Amazon owned a big chunk of that. Um, that ended up not working for a variety of reasons. Um, and they're trying again, both Amazon and Walmart. That was actually, you know, I'm an e-commerce and I've become an e-commerce nerd over the years covering this space. But health, that chapter about healthcare and these two companies was probably my favorite uh, to write and report because a, I learned so much. I had to do so much extra reporting to make sure I knew what I was talking about. Yeah. And B, because I really do think both will be players in this space. How big, I'm not sure five, 10 years down the road. And so I think all of us should be paying attention to their efforts, whether we're a fan of them or not. Um, because, um, they see these, this industry as something they absolutely want to be a part of long-term. And, um, you know, I, I just think they're going to keep at it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in my, uh, so I'm 56 and to me, the, the sort of most revolutionary thing that exists now that didn't, when I was a younger person is urgent care. 
you know, just this idea that you don't have to necessarily go to your primary care physician or to a hospital, that there are places in every neighborhood, at least every neighborhood, I, you know, in Chicago that I go by, where you can at least get your shot or get something checked out, you know, because most of those problems are, 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 are like that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when you're talking about in this chapter, you're talking about everything from um, uh, medications and, you know, and acquiring companies in there to these kinds of like urgent care center. I mean, it's, it's, it's a gamut in terms of, of that, that field. And, yeah, and well, complex. Yeah. Walmart. I mean, Walmart, you know, had the, has um, these Walmart health clinics, um, none around me in the Northeast. I don't, uh, I think actually either they've started to roll out in Illinois or, um, or going to, but, but it's still relatively small, you know, by the end of next year, I think they'll have 75 in, in, you know, across seven States. Um, but these are essentially trying to be, they don't call them super centers, medical super centers, but essentially like, (laughs) um, it's yeah. I mean, yeah, not always the best at branding, but yes. Uh, so, uh, you know, Dr dental x-rays um i i think uh perhaps mental health uh counseling in wow. some and um you know they talk a lot about just trying to bring accessibility uh to to areas where there's there's not a lot of good options for care um yes amazon amazon was sending people to your home uh, they started with just the service amazon care for employees um and uh i have some great stories, both positive and negative about, you know, how they were trying to build out that service. They end up shutting it down and then, uh, but then acquiring one medical, um, which is sort of a newer chain of, uh, primary care, uh, with, with an app digital component as well, spending almost 4 billion. Um, so they're serious. They're really serious. And then, yeah. Um, they they each had a battle over this online pharmacy called Pill Pack. Each wanted to buy this company. Um, you know, I'm a sports fan, so I do like business narratives that are you know head to head competitions, and uh, that was a that was a big one. Um, and it's sort of the foundation for Amazon to launch this Amazon Pharmacy, which again is um, going to them for your prescri- prescription needs. Um, and where are we and, at with uh, that? Is that is that a thing that's happening now? Is it did it already? Well, yeah, so, 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 so Amazon is still running this company called pill pack, which if you take several medications a day, that is their target. Um, that is their target customer and they'll, you know, package them and, and organize them for you and then ship them to your door. So that business is still there. And then Amazon is trying just tr- starting to market this Amazon pharmacy, which is supposed to be sort of for everyone. And that is, going to them um, for your prescriptions and having it shipped to you mm-hmm. a, in a couple of days. Now, if you need antibiotics today, because you have, you know, something that, that where, where you need antibiotics today, that's, that's probably not going to be your bet. Yeah. But if you have sort of one Chronic. recurring, mm-hmm. you know, maybe um, uh, blood pressure medication that you have to take, maybe, maybe it would be, cheaper to go to Amazon for that or just more convenient. Um, but I, I, you know, I think they still have a lot of challenges there to get people out of their, um, normal routines. And also, you know, Amazon is a trusted brand in a lot of ways, but healthcare and shopping for toilet paper to me, at least, are you know, different, maybe things. two different things, maybe, maybe, maybe connected. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. Before we ask you for your yes and story, there's one character we haven't mentioned who I, th- I was really compelled because I didn't, when you introduced us to Mark Lore, I sort of had one idea that I wasn't going to like this guy. And I kind of like this guy. <laughs> Listen, that's yeah. So, um, I, so it's actually, yeah, it's pronounced Mark Laurie. It's Laurie. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Which I took me two years of covering him to re- recognize that. So um, <laughs> no blame on you there. Okay, yeah. Great. So he's an entrepreneur who um, was the founder of diapers.com back in the day. And actually, you know, there's an Amazon Walmart battle there. Walmart was interested. Amazon ended up um, making that deal. Uh <laughs> And he and his co-founder actually were really sh- struggled with that decision. This Walmart at one point came and offered a lot more money, but they were frankly, I, I think they, I think they were intrigued by the 
tech nature of Amazon over Walmart, but also they were a little scared of <laughs> what would happen if they didn't sell the uh, Amazon in terms of in, in terms of. Uh, well, there was some real pressure put on them. There, there was, was a real pressure put yeah. on them. So and and um, and then he started this company called Jet.com, uh, which was after he left Amazon. Or though some people will say he was kind of working on it um, mm-hmm. <laughs> while he was still still at Amazon. Um, and yeah, they were trying to sort of make a run at Amazon, but also Walmart and felt there was a real opportunity to become the number two biggest online retailer. Um, that chapter is one of my favorite ones too, because it's the wild story of this startup over a year and a half that raised a ton of venture capital. Um, the business is kind of not working, but they just keep putting money into it. And he's a great salesman and also, you know, brilliant in a lot of ways. Um, and they, you know, they're kind of running out of cash, but Walmart really needs a jolt in their e-commerce business and come comes along and, um, not only pays through 3 billion for jet.com, but hands the keys to their online kingdom to Mark and his team. And, um, and a lot of things Mark Lorian team did at Walmart, um, sort of, uh, one-off decisions did not work, but a main thing they were trying to do, and you can call it salesmanship or I don't know what, but they were trying to change the narrative of Walmart and technology. And I think in a lot of ways they succeeded. Yeah. Um, both, you know, they grew that business, whether it was done profitably or not, That's a, that was a big tension inside the company. The cultures of the stores and e-commerce teams were a big tension. Um, but on Wall Street and I think in the tech industry, they, they did change the narrative and put Walmart into a better position to um, continue to take on Amazon in this battle. I'm, I'm curious for you, um, yeah. uh, what, what, what made you think you might not like him? And then um, what, what sort of changed your mind a bit if it did? Well, uh, it sort of felt at the beginning like he was full of BS, like he was just a P.T. Barnum type guy. And, and like yeah. when you look back at the companies, they, they never quite work. And so it's sort of like, well, what? You know, I, I, I saw that you made a bunch of money on this deal, but we are, are people getting their, you know, is this work? Is it profitable? Yeah. But then over time, when you sort of realize that this is another sort of character in the book who understands the importance of human to human um, relationships, uh, trying, trying to change culture. I also had sympathy because while you don't come out right and say this, you do imply that a little bit of like, this, this is a guy who maybe attempted some comedy without a license. It's a line I use quite often, which is the, you know, the jokes or the behavior in, in this. And look, I, I know about the Walmart culture in terms of, I, I know people work there and it's like, it's, it's, um, it didn't take kindly to necessarily a guy like that expressing yep. himself in the ways that he expressed himself. And, and that's difficult because there, there are incredible benefits to using humor and sort of that, that sort of the different kinds of personalities, which, which you need. And what, and again, this goes back to my very first sort of observations around the book because Amazon's got this culture of, you know, uh, disagree. It's important to disagree, yep. which is fantastic. But also when you marry that with real bad ethics, it's not so good. And then Walmart has this sort of classic traditional American value thing, sort of, when married with questionable ethics is not good. So th- this is this is just always going to be... It's funny, I was talking to my friend Jen, who works across the hall, um, just in the sense of the, the many of the narratives that we see coming around in the podcast we listen to that are talking about this stuff, which do end up like really wondering about capitalism in this country. And then it's like, okay, I have my questions about it as well, but like, what else do we got? Like, I don't see another system being sort of great. And I mean, so this is hard, right? It's, it's hard to like, how, how long do we keep at it where we're like, no, 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 we're going to get this right. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, you're right on. And, you know, in this book, you know, so this battle is ongoing, right? And I knew from the time I sold this book and I was straight with my publisher about this, like, I don't know where this book ends because this battle is not over. And I sort of end, you know, I won't give too much away, but, you know, I sort of end with like, listen, I hope this competition um, continues to 
have have some po- you know throw off some positives right each company feels like they need to compete by raising wages a bit or yeah. you know maybe they will make improvements to healthcare or um try to think what else maybe they will bring new innovations that make life easier but there's all but there's buts with all of that yes. right and um and you know and so it, it's it's yeah, I, I, I'm with you on like, what, what do we have that's better? Um, and I, I really, the other thing is, you know, I, I struggle with it being on consumers, uh, you know, us and our life as consumer, I, I hate just using that term as, um, like people, people are complicated, right? We're, we, we're not just buyers. Let's go talk about content and storytelling. All right. Oh what, man. What yeah. Mean? I mean, uh, I could, I, I won't go off on that, but, um, Anyway, I don't know that it's up to us in our busy lives to, um, you know, upend the, you know, uh, the way the way the economy works in this in our society and what's convenient and what's not. But I I think it's important to understand how these companies operate, the types of people who run them, what their motivations are, both good and bad, and at least, you know, be straight with what might not be right about how they operate day to day. And with that, we can at least be informed and um, make the best decisions for, for the important people in our life, which is, you know, how, how I try to live at least. I love it. Uh, We always end the podcast with asking our guests for a yes and story. Do you have one? I think I do. Um, I started working on the book proposal uh, for winner sells all uh, in 2019. Um, I'm working on it. Through the, uh, that's a good question. Um, ooh, I should know the month. Um, well, I, I, I published something in, uh, I believe, May of that year about the history of Amazon Prime, and that got the attention of the book. Where you know some folks. Okay, in the book so this, is, this so, is after this is after shutdown. Uh, sorry, so 2019. So before shutdown. Before so, shutdown. Yeah, and then um, and then. But I'm still working on it as the world okay, sort so of that's, upended. That's right. so you're you're yeah. writing. And I'm writing, and then March hits of 2020, and I'm writing for my day job, you know, at Recode and Box.com, trying to cover what this what this means for you know the retail world. And on April 7th, I get um, an email in my inbox from uh, my agent uh, that is, uh, "Hey, Jason, this may." not be the best time. Uh, but I do think you should get back to that proposal because mm-hmm. e-commerce is pretty important right now. And, wow. um, it would be a good time to get a proposal out to the publishers in this world, um, about this big battle and the future of this industry that is becoming, you know, really a necessity, right. For those, at least those early months and still for a lot of people. Um, and, I think I may have taken a day and I said, yes, Ethan, you're right. And I will start in the next few days, uh, returning to this proposal. And I think with about, within about four to six weeks, we had finished a abridged version of what we initially planned pre pandemic about 40 pages instead of 80 pages. Um, got it out to publishers, I think in June and, um, you know, I think by the end of that month, um, had signed a deal with Harper Business to uh, to publish this thing, um, and it's it'll see it's seen the light of day uh, finally. Some questionable moments over over those those uh, three years, but um, I'm I'm very I'm very very glad uh, I said yes, and I actually followed through on it and uh, finished that that darn thing. I love it. So my, my book was also published by Harper's uh, Business, and um, but it was not called Yes And. Uh, when we sold it, it was called The Revolution Will Be Improvised, yep. um, which I still love that title. But I remember we led the marketing team through an improv workshop. It was, I think, our publisher's idea, our editor. And um, and they uh, we taught them the Yes And exercise, and they're all like, you need to call the book Yes And. Which was prescient, they 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 because it did really well, and I think it was in yeah. part because that was a concept that um, tech uh, had uh, embraced uh, in part because 
Stanford produces so many people and they do a lot of improv over there. And, and literally at Zappos, they had a thing called the Yes And Library. Oh, yeah. Taught a workshop. I'm like, wait a second, that's my book. Um, and uh, uh, but but hadn't permeated the rest of the culture, which it has now. Uh, so it's 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 kind of interesting where these these things uh, end up. Well, I love this book. It's called Winner Sells All. Amazon, Walmart, and the battle for our wallets. Jason, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much, Kelly. I had a great time. Getting the Yes And is produced by Second City Works and WGN Radio. Our editor is Oridian Fierro from WGN. We get support at the Second City from Colleen Fahey, Mike Farinaccio, and Emma Smith. The music you hear at the beginning and end of the show is by Jukebox the Ghost. For more information about the Second City, you can go to www.secondcity.com or you can email us directly at works at secondcity.com. Survive